You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Have you ever shot with 127 film? There are millions and millions of 127 film cameras out there in the wild waiting for you to pick them up, grab some film and shoot those cameras. And the best news is you can still get 127 film. So what are you waiting for? Get out there and shoot that 127 film just like I did in this episode with the Kodak Brownie Starlet. I'm Matt Murray. And this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analogue photography related. my friends how are you wherever you are all around the world i hope you're doing well it's a beautiful beautiful day here in brisbane it's a saturday uh, and we've had the return of the beautiful winter weather it was about 24 degrees celsius today which is about 75 Fahrenheit. Um, I didn't even have a hoodie or a jumper on today. Uh, we went out, uh, my son and I went out. We actually went down to a like a, ch- a charity store or an op shop and I scored a couple of little cameras. I'll tell you about them later. And then we went to the cricket nets uh, where we quite often go. I, I'm the bowler and my son's the batter. And uh, it was just beautiful in the sun. Um, usually in summer here, you can't really enjoy the sun in the middle of the day. It's just way too hot. But in winter, it's so beautiful. Uh, you just get out there and, and have fun in the sunshine. So I'm glad to say the rain is gone for now. Now, today is the 13th of July. Yesterday was the 12th of July, of course. Do you know what day that is in the film photographer's calendar? Well, it's 127 Film Day, of course. 12th of July, 12th of the 7th, 127. 127 Film Day. Which means that if you can, you should get out there on the 12th of July and shoot that 127 film. So lately I have been shooting quite a bit of 127 film. I shot uh, two rolls for this episode. And then yesterday on the 12th of July, I did shoot another, which is still in the camera. I haven't taken it out and sent it off yet. Uh, But I have really enjoyed um, shooting 127 film the first time I've ever shot it. Um, So yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting the the next roll of film back. And I will, of course, be discussing the first two rolls of 127 film that I shot with you today on this podcast. So just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane here in Australia. This podcast is all about analogue photography. In each episode of this podcast, well, most episodes, not every, (laughs) I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In today's episode, episode 15 of Matt Loves Cameras, I review the Kodak Starlet camera, which uses 127 film. You can see the show notes for every episode on the website, mattlovescameras.com, and you can also see uh, some of the images up on uh, Instagram, at mattlovescameras. So let's kick off the show talking about 127 film. 
So 127 is a roll film format introduced by Kodak in 1912 for its vest pocket folding camera. The vest pocket line of cameras were a huge success for Kodak, with millions sold over the coming decades. The main reason that these cameras were so successful is because they were a very compact alternative to much other larger cameras in the market that used a slightly larger film format, 120 film. Many of these folding 127s were in fact smaller than many of the 35mm cameras that we have today. Even though the cameras were smaller than the medium format cameras around at the time, the film format was capable of excellent results. Other manufacturers also made cameras for the 127 format, and they often added the term vest pocket or VP onto the name of their cameras. For this reason, 127 film was often known as vest pocket film. In fact, it continued to be known as vest film or vest pocket film until the 1950s in Japan. So let's talk about how big 127 film is in relation to two film formats that many of you are probably very familiar with. So we'll start off with 135 film, which is, of course, 35mm film. And as its uh, name suggests, it's 35mm wide. Next up is 127 film, which is 46 millimeters wide. And even bigger than that is 120 film, which is around 61 millimeters wide. Now, 120 film, of course, is designated as medium format. But do you know what 127 film is designated as? And what is 135 film designated as? Well, here is a fun fact. 35mm film or 135 film is officially classed as a miniature film. That's right, 35mm film is a miniature film. 120 is a medium format. Do you want to have a guess at what 127 film is? Okay, well, if you said miniature, you're wrong. If you said medium format, you're wrong. It's actually classed as small format film. There you go. 127 is small format film. So here's your next trivia question. How big are the images on 127 film? Now, if you said four centimeters by four centimeters, you are correct. Uh, Many of the later 127 film cameras use this format. However, early 127 film cameras such as the Kodak Vest Pocket actually took rectangular pictures. So instead of the 4cm by 4cm square images that later cameras took, the Vest Pocket took rectangular 4cm high by 6.5cm wide uh, images. So yeah, rectangular images on a 127 camera. From its launch in 1912 until the 1930s, 127 film and cameras were very popular. Kodak sold millions and millions of its vest pocket camera line, and it had many models. One curious model was the Autographic, which was sold between 1915 and 1926. The camera was sold in the United States as the soldier's camera during World War I, with over 1.75 million of these cameras sold. Now, on the back of this model, there was an area uh, where you could sort of write notes or scratch notes. There was a stylus that came along with the camera 
And what happened is in this little window, you would sort of etch notes onto the backing paper, which would then make an impression onto the film, hence the name autographic. When the Great Depression hit in the 1930s, camera makers tried to provide more frugal options for the public. 127 cameras like the Zeiss Icon Calibri were launched, which took 16 exposures in 3 by 4 centimeter format, which is pretty much half frame compared to those earlier models. Throughout the 1930s and 40s, there were not that many new models of 127 cameras launched. One that was, however, was the Baby Brownie, followed up with the Baby Brownie Special, which was made with a brand new kind of plastic, Bakelite. This had arrived as a means of very cheap mass production and appeared in all sorts of consumer products such as telephones and all sorts of stuff was made now in this new plastic Bakelite. Another model introduced by Kodak in the 1930s was the Kodak Reflex, and this model stayed in production for over 20 years. So there were not a lot of new cameras being brought to market during the 1930s and 40s, probably because of the war uh, and the, these older models just kept selling and being produced. In the 1950s, 127 film had a revival. Small, inexpensive 127 cameras came onto the market, many of them again moulded in this new plastic called Bakelite. These cameras changed up the 127 format. Many of them, or most of them, took square images that were 4cm by 4cm, giving the photographer 12 images per roll instead of the 8 uh, that the, uh, the early vest pocket models gave you. Many of these new cameras were very basic. An example of this was the best-selling Brownie line from Kodak, such as the Brownie 127. There were some notable exceptions to this, of course. The very high-quality cameras produced included the Baby Rollerflex, which, of course, is a 127 film camera, Baby Rolly, and the Yashka 44 series, which are, again, a very beautiful-looking camera. Uh, unfortunately, both the Baby Rollies and the Yashka 44s are quite expensive on eBay. Uh, I would love one, but, um, you know, if they're over 100 bucks or so, I'd buy one, but they go for three, 400 up, usually. 127 film was a very popular mainstream format until the 1960s when Kodak brought out easier to use cartridge based systems. First of all, in 1963, they introduced 126 film, which of course we spoke about in episode 14 of Matt Loves Cameras. And then uh, nine years later, in 1972, they brought out 110 film, which of course was a miniature version of 126. Now, back in its heyday, you could get a variety of emulsions in 127 film. So, if you wanted some color print film, you could get emulsions such as Kodakolor X, Kodakolor, Kodakolor 2, and Kodak Gold 200, along with one called Ilfa Color from Ilford. Very interesting. Uh, in black and white, you could get Verachrome Pan, and in color slide emulsions, you could get Kodak Ektachrome. Now, talking about slide film or color reversal film, the 4cm by 4cm color slides produced by 127 film cameras could be projected in a normal projector designed for 35mm slides, and these were often called super slides. They were much bigger and much more brilliant than their 135 cousins. 
Superslides were also often sold in sets at souvenir shops for tourists who wanted a a great photo to show their friends when they got home. If they weren't very good with their camera, they, they could just go buy a super slide at a souvenir shop. How good is that? Kodak stopped producing 127 film in July 1995 followed by pretty much every other manufacturer except for Photochemica of Croatia, who continued to make 127 film until 2012, sold under its FK brand. 127 film has been available over the last 10 to 12 years or so from a few different sources. These include Blue Fire Laboratories of Calgary in Canada. They began packaging 127 color print film, by cutting down Agfa and Kodak bulk rolls down to size for 127 cameras. Also included is Dick Haviland and his business Film for Classics. Uh, Dick was actually um, cutting down film to a variety of different old film sizes, including 127, and selling them through dealers like B&H. And the third name is Rolly. A uh, very famous name there, owned by a company called Maco Photo Products. Um, so they actually started selling black and white 127 film under the name Riropan. And then later on, they started uh, making 127 color reversal film or color slide film under the name Rirochrome. And this is manufactured in Japan by the EZOX Corporation. out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com if you're on instagram come say hi at mattlovescameras or if you fancy getting in touch drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com now let's talk about the camera that i used for this episode the kodak brownie starlet The Kodak Brownie Starlet was actually part of a series of cameras that Kodak introduced in 1957. Over 10 million of these little plastic star series cameras were made well into the 1960s. They all had a very, very similar layout with their main differences mostly around the viewfinder and how they used flash, if they used flash at all. So here is a list of the models in the Kodak Star Series. There's the Kodak Brownie Star Flash, the Star Flex, the Starlet, the Star Lux, the Starmatic, the Star Meter, the Star Mite, and the Star Tech. Now, I actually have in my collection a couple. I've got um, a Starlet, which is the one that I shot this episode on. And I have a Starflex. Now, I must tell you, I really like the Starflex more than the Starlet. I hope my cameras haven't got ears. I would hate to think that they were, you know, the Starlet was be offended by that. The reason I really like the Starflex um, is it because it came in a lovely box with a manual, but it's also, it's a faux TLR. It's a fake TLR. So in the top, there's like a little silver panel and you lift that up and you actually look down through this beautiful bright viewfinder like you would a Rollerflex. Um, so that's really, really curious. Um, and I really like it. It's in English on the front. It says um, there's two aperture settings. There's color and black and white. So the color aperture is um, exposure value 13. And that's a wider aperture. 
And then there's also black and white, which is exposure value 14. And when you flip a little switch um, beneath the lens, you can actually see the aperture narrowing down from exposure value 13 for color down to 14 for black and white. Um, so it's got a Dacon lens um, and it's a really cool little camera. On the bottom, there's a sports finder as well, which is like a little metal thing that pops up. So you can do, your, if you don't want to look down through the viewfinder, there's actually a sports finder on the bottom, which is cool. The only problem with this camera is uh, the shutter. So I think it just needs a bit of a, uh, you know, a, a clean adjustment. Um, the main problem is you can wind it on. And then when you fire the shutter, the shutter kind of stays open for longer than it should. Um, I'm just going to do it again here. Yeah, it's really quite slow um, to close the shutter up, probably about half a second. Um, I know that when I was looking at this camera a couple of weeks ago, it was actually staying open until I wound the camera on again. And you don't really want your shutter opening for that long unless you're doing long exposures. So it's a really cool little camera with the, the fake TLR on the top. But for this um, for this film that I used, I actually used the other little Star Series camera I have, and this one is the Kodak Brownie Starlet. This one is has got French on the front. So again, there's only two aperture settings. Uh, and this on this one, it's not color and black and white. These ones in French actually refer to the weather. So you've got um, 13, exposure value 13 is soleil voile, uh, which I believe means um, the, cloud, the sun is behind the clouds kind of thing. It's um, not bright sunshine. And the other one is a soleil brillant, which uh, is exposure value 14, which I believe means bright sun, soleil brillant. So there you go. That's the uh, that's a little French model of the camera. That's the Brownie Starlet, and that's the one I used. Now this one here, there's actually a viewfinder, so you don't look down through a TLR style uh, kind of viewfinder. You actually look through a tiny little viewfinder. It's actually pretty good though. It's quite it's okay to look through. It's quite bright. There's no sports finder on the bottom. Um, other than that, they do look like very similar cameras obviously of the same family, um, but the Starflex, because it's got that um, f uh, fake TLR viewfinder, it's actually taller and a bit bigger and a little bit heavier than the Starlet. Um, so yeah, very, very cool little cameras. Um, I really, really enjoyed using them. So of course the manufacturer of the uh, Star series of cameras was Kodak, and they were manufactured in Australia, Canada, France, and the USA. Now, as I said, I have the Starflex here in a lovely little box with a uh, instruction manual, uh, which is really cool. But other cameras in the range actually came as a camera outfit. So one of these was the Starmite. It was sold as the Kodak Starmite camera outfit. And in this outfit, you got uh, inside the box, you got a camera, you got a flash guard, you got bulbs, you got a battery for the flash, and you got two Verichrome films. The Starmite sold for 12 US dollars in 1960, which is about $104 in today's money. In the UK, it sold for four pounds and four shillings, which is about 20% of the weekly wage at the time.
all the Star series of cameras were very basic kind of plastic cameras. Uh, they were viewfinder cameras. So you're either looking through a viewfinder window or you're looking down through the, the faux TLR kind of thing. Um, the lenses typically had were Dacon lenses and they had two apertures, uh, exposure value 13 and 14. Some of them, as I said, said color and black and white. Uh, although some of them had more the weather uh, sort of information on like the French model. The Star series of cameras feature a rotary shutter with just one speed. There's no official information about that shutter speed in the manual. It is thought to be around 150th, 160th or 175th of a second. Personally, I'm going to bet on 160th of a second. So I've got a little cool book here. I'm actually going to do a review on this soon. It's called Analog Photography. And in this analog photography book, there are some LV tables or some light value or exposure value tables. Now, we know that the camera has two, the two apertures of 13 and 14. So if we assume an ISO speed of 100 for film, many films in the old days were, you know, 100 was probably quite a, a fast film maybe for some of these uh, emulsions. So if we look at ISO 100, exposure values 13 and 14, at 160th of a second, that would put the wider aperture, which is the, the color or the soleil voile uh, setting at f11, and that would put the black and white or the soleil brillant um, <laughs> aperture at f16. So that's my guess. Is My guess is the shutter speed is 160th, and judging by those exposure values, the apertures are f11 and f16. Now, if you listen to episode 14 of Matt Loves Cameras with the 126 Instamatic camera, uh, you will no doubt, you may remember a photo of my son that I took where he was not the minimum focus distance away from the camera. Now, you think I would have learned from that experience when I was shooting my 127 camera. No, no, I did not. Um, once again, I failed to read the manual properly. The minimum focus distance is clearly in this little manual I have here for the Starflex, not the camera I used. Um, I used the Starlet, but it does actually say here in the manual. The manual was actually kind of hidden down the side of the box though, so that, that's my excuse. So it says here in the manual, when your subject is too close to the camera, closer than five feet at the 13 setting, or four feet at the 14 setting. Uh, so I was shooting on the 14 setting because I usually shoot out in bright conditions. Uh, the minimum focus distance is four feet, which is around one meter 20, 120 centimeters. And like I said, I am sure that I got this right. I'm sure that my kids, when I took some photos, <laughs> were more than one meter 20 away from me. But again, the curse of the uh, the older camera strikes and I have a couple of out-of-focus photos of my children to share with you on uh, on the website show notes. Uh, a bit disappointing, but what can you do? Now, built into that, um, the shutter and the winding-on mechanism is a feature to prevent double exposures on these cameras. So when you wind the camera on, you can press the shutter once, but you can't press the shutter again until you wind the film on again. So that was a very good feature for beginning photographers. 
Now, down the sides of both the Starflex and the Starlet, there are some little silver contacts. That's where you attach the flash, an external flash with the batteries, uh, and you would have removable little bulbs that you could um, you know, put in place and um, fire off and then put a new one in. I did not shoot any flash images, though, with these cameras. I just shot in the beautiful Brisbane sunshine. Now, as I said, all of the cameras are very similar, and certainly the two I've got here, um, loading the film, is very similar. Um, I've actually still got film in the in the star the starlet, and I, and I almost opened it up and exposed the film. That would have been very silly. Uh, so let's have a look at the the Starflex, which is the bigger, heavier version. Uh, on the bottom, there's a little lock where you can open up the camera, and the whole sort of base comes off. Now, on the base at the moment, there's a spool on the left-hand side. So this was the supply spool. This was the spool that the last roll of film was on. Um, so what happens, of course, is you put a new uh, roll of film on the left-hand side of this base, and then you put the leader of that 127 film into another spool on the right-hand side. So if you're ever going to buy a 127 camera make sure you've got, as well as your film, make sure you've got a spare spool or make sure that the camera you're buying has got a spare spool. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. So yeah, this camera here has got its spare spool here. It's on the left-hand side because it was the supply spool. You then move the spool to the right-hand side. That's now going to be the take-up spool. And so then you put your new film on the left-hand side. You put the leader into the right-hand side spool, the empty one. And then as you wind the film on, the film gets transferred from one spool to the other, just like it does in, uh, you know, 120 film. I was a little bit nervous uh, when I had this film and I was feeding it onto the spools. Um, about, ooh, about six weeks, seven weeks ago, uh, I'll just put this camera down, it's a bit, it's a bit noisy. Uh, about six or seven weeks ago, I actually went to go put some film, some 120 film in a roller cord. And I was talking to my son at the time and we're in this underground shopping center car park waiting for my wife and my daughter. And I made a complete mash of it. And I ended up with the film everywhere, exposed the film, getting very grumpy with myself. Um, and because, you know, I, I usually only shoot, you know, 35 mil film. Uh, and so I hadn't shot, I hadn't um, put a roll of 120 on for a long time. So uh, putting this 127 film on, I was a little bit wary, but it was fine. It was really easy. I think I just had a bad day with the roller cord. So, you know, once you get your film in, you um, and make sure you wind it on a little bit. You put the base back in and then you keep winding the camera until you see some numbers appear in the back um, of the film. Of course, there's a backing paper and there's some numbers on the backing paper. So you keep winding it on until you see the number one appear. Uh, and of course, there are 12 shots on a roll and all the backing paper well certainly the backing paper that is sold on the film that I have had numbers 1 to 12 on uh, so it assumed of course that you're shooting 4 by 4 centimeter images you're listening to Matt Lowe's cameras Okay, let's talk about the images that I shot with the Kodak 
brownie starlets. This lovely little plastic camera I have here with me right now. Uh, so I shot, for this episode, I shot a roll of black and white Riripan and a roll of colour slide film, which is Rira Chrome. Now, scanning. Scanning this film was a pain in the bum. It doesn't fit in any of the film scanning holders that I have. It's too small for 120, too big for 135. I tried putting it on the, um, the scanner glass and putting some museum glass on top. The museum glass I bought produces some Newton rings, um, so I'm actually wondering if it is the correct glass that I've bought. They did assure me it was museum glass, but it's producing all these, uh, Newton rings, which are basically little circular kind of rings that appear on the film when you scan. Um, so I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board with that glass. It cost me $40, um, and it does not really doing what I wanted it to do. Okay, so let's talk about the images that I shot with this lovely little Kodak Brownie Starlet. Now, the first little set of images are the ones that I took on the black and white Rira Pan. So the first one I've already spoken to you guys about is an image of my boy at Victoria Point. Another shot out of focus. I am sure that he was at least, you know, four, five, six feet away from me. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's terribly out of focus, um, but he, I'd say he is out of focus. If you look at behind him, there's a couple of boats and the boats look like they're pretty good and the sand um, looks pretty good in focus as well. Uh, so, oh, well, I, you live and learn, right? The next one down was again taken at Victoria Point. There's a lovely little dinghy boat there with a nice reflection underneath it. It was uh, very low tide. It was the, the tide was only probably... I don't know, eight inches, 20 centimeters. And it had this beautiful little ref reflection there on the water. And I quite liked that one. The next one down is a building, which I think I shot in episode one of Matt Loves Cameras. It's a old historic building in Brisbane called Smelly & Co. Uh, the lighting conditions here were a little bit more tricky, uh, a bit more contrasty, but I think it's, you know, I think it's done well. The camera and film combo has done well. The last black and white image I'll talk to you about is one at South Brisbane. It's the ABC building at uh, South Bank with the Wheel of Brisbane behind it. And now on this image, I've scanned this a few times and every time it came up with these yellow lines. So towards the top of the frame, you'll see this a thick yellow line and some smaller ones either side. Now, it was actually quite hard to look on the negative, holding it up to the light, even with a loop, even with, with my glasses on. Uh, it was hard to tell whether that was on the negative or not. I mean, is it something that was done through the scanning? I mean, usually when uh, you get a line across your scans through an Epson scanner, it's just the one line and it's not yellow. Uh, this is kind of different lines of various uh, thickness. So I really don't know what this is. Uh, if you guys have experienced this uh, or you think you know what it is, please let me know. Now let's move on to the color images. So the first one here is a close-up of a, a boat or a dinghy on the sand at low tide at Victoria Point. I quite like this one. It's nice and sharp. You'll just see towards the top of the image, though, there is some sort of blue um, sort of light or blue speckles towards the top of the image. Now, if you go down to the next image, which is an image of a beautiful pink trumpet flower tree in Brisbane, outside a historic building, you'll see some more sort of blue splodges towards the top of the frame. Now, I'm not sure what these blue splodges are, 
But as we go down a couple more images, you'll see them crop up again. So the third color image is probably my favorite one I've taken so far with the Kodak Brownie Starlet. We went to a uh, historic house here called Ormiston House and there was a car rally and I took an image of this uh, beautiful Porsche sitting on the grass there. A really nice image. I think it's nice and sharp. I love the colors, great exposure. I love that image, beautiful. The next one is a close-up of an older car, a Napier. Um, the front sort of wheel doesn't look quite in focus, but the, the rest of the car body does. You'll see there's a bit of um, light flare or light leak action going on. Now, the next one down is once again the pink trumpet flower tree outside the Treasury Hotel in Brisbane. And you'll actually see, again, towards the top of this frame, you'll see those blue splodges. Uh, I don't know what these are. They're actually on the, on the I'm about to say the negative, on the positive though, because they're slides. So I don't know what this is. Is this part of the emulsion? I, I really don't know. I'm a little bit baffled. Now the next one is a beautiful <laughs> out of focus shot of my daughter. She was probably closer than my son's. She was probably only about four feet away, uh, but she's not really in focus. But you will see those blue splodges again towards the top of the frame and a weird blue line running right through the frame across her eyes to the right of the frame and back across her tummy. Uh, it also has a really um, quite a big light leak to the bottom of this one. Second last image is a close-up of a Holden special car. Now, it looks it's a great sort of exposure. I think it looks good. Um, the only thing is that towards the bottom of this image, there are some green lines. Very, very strange. Um, I don't know what these are. Is it something to do with the scanning that happens with bigger negatives? I don't know. 35 mil negatives, you only get the one small line. These are bigger lines. And the final image is of some boats at Victoria Point again, and you will see quite extensive blue splodges all across this frame. And I believe uh, I had a look, uh, held it up to the light with a loop, and I believe these blue splodges are on the positive on the slide. Yeah, so I don't know what these are. Is it something to do with the emulsion? Could it be something to do with the development? Or is some of these weird lines something to do with the scanning? I really don't know. I've scanned them so many times. Um, and I've held them up to the light, looked at them through a loop. It's really quite strange. Generally, though, I am really happy with the images that this 60-year-old plastic camera took. Now, if you want to get your hands on some 127 film, there are a few places you can get it from. In the United States, you can get it from B&H Photo and Video and also the wonderful Film Photography Project Store. In the United Kingdom, you can get 127 film from Analog Wonderland, and here in Australia, the only place I've seen that sell it uh, is, well, I've only seen black and white for sale at Michael's in Melbourne. Uh, and of course, go to eBay and you'll probably find a few sellers uh, selling Rira Pan and Rira Chrome, along with probably some vintage 127 film. Uh, be careful when you buy that vintage 127 film, though, because obviously you're not sure what you're going to get with that. Generally, though, the black and white emulsions will usually last quite a long time and they come out pretty good. Uh, the colour ones be a little bit more suspicious about. Now, when I get my film back um, that's currently in the camera, I took 11 exposures on the 12th of July, which means that 
they are eligible, assuming that they turn out okay, they are eligible to go into the July uh, 127 Film Day kind of exhibition. Uh, so if you don't know about this, get on to, um, there's a web address, I'll put it in the show notes, but it's 127film.blogspot.com. And uh, you can submit an image on 127 film that you took on the 12th of July, 2019. And I think there's some kind of exhibition. Uh, I don't really know if it's an online exhibition, uh, an in-person face-to-face exhibition. I have no idea, but it sounds really cool. And um, hopefully these images on my latest role of Rira Chrome will come back and I can send some along to that. Really looking forward to doing that and being part of that community. Uh, there is one image left on my roll of Rira Chrome in the starlet at the moment and I'm saving that tomorrow uh, to take a photo of my children and man I'm going to be six seven eight feet away from them and it better turn out and focus because I'm sick and tired of taking these photos of my, my kids with these older cameras and them not being in focus. So how did the Kodak Brownie Starlet shape up against my completely made up and arbitrary ratings? It did pretty well. For usability and performance, I gave it a 16 out of 25. It's a pretty easy to use camera apart from loading that film. And you can see why Kodak went down that cartridge route. They really wanted to make every aspect of the cameras easy for people. Features. Um, This camera hasn't got a lot of features. Uh, It didn't come with a flash or anything like that. Uh, So it's very basic. I'm just going to give it a 12 out of 25. Fun. I think this is a really fun camera. Uh, It's really light. It fits in your pocket or your bag. Take it anywhere. Load it up with that beautiful big film and take some photos. You've just got to be careful, of course, of the lighting conditions to make sure you're fitting in with either exposure value 13 or 14. But I think the camera is a lot of fun. Images, I'm going to give the uh, images 20 out of 25. Um, I'm really quite happy with the way they turned out and they look beautiful uh, when you hold them up to the light, the the color slides. And I really like the black and white ones as well. Um, Again, you know, the the rating 20 out of 25 is taking into account you're shooting with a plastic camera. So, you know, I mean, that's it's kind of a a weighted kind of images uh, score. But I'm really happy with the way they turned out. So that gives the Kodak Brownie Starlet 62 out of 100. So I'll tell you a couple of little stories um, just to finish up the show. So today I went down to a like a junk store with my son. We dropped my wife and my daughter off at the shops and me and the son went to uh, the junk store and I actually picked up two cameras. So the first one I found uh, was an Instax camera, <laughs> an Instax Mini 8, a black one. It was $8.00. And I picked it up and I thought, oh, there's got to be something wrong. Eight Australian dollars, it's at five or six US. There's got to be something wrong with it. It looked in good nick, had an instruction manual. Opened it up, had no batteries. So I put a couple of double A's in there and it turned on. And so I thought, cool, this is pretty good. So I pressed the shutter just to see if the flash would fire. Because of course, um, the Mini 8 and the Mini 9, the flash always fires. And the flash fired. And all of a sudden, this image came out the top of the camera. 
I didn't realise that there was film in the camera that was okay. And um, we waited, uh, you know, 60 seconds or so, and I had a lovely photo come up of a table in front of me. And so then I got my son to take one of me, and I took one of him. We waited a couple of minutes, and we had these beautiful little Instax mini (laughs) pictures in our hands. So for $8, yes, thank you very much. I will take that. And I'll probably flip that on Facebook Marketplace for $30 to to $40, I don't know. Uh, And that will help me get some help with the costs of getting some more film developed for uh, Matt Love's cameras. Um, So that was a good little win. I enjoyed that. and then the other camera I got, um, I think it works. I probably spent about 10 minutes checking it all, but it's an old beat up Ricoh uh, 500 camera. It does look like it's seen better days, but I've tested the apertures. I've tested the shutter speeds. Uh, it looks like, it, ugh, I can't speak. It looks like it works. So it's an old Ricoh 500. Looks okay to me. It doesn't look like there's any fungus or haze in the lens. It just looks a bit ugly. It needs a good cleanup. Um, so hopefully I'll be able to clean that up and I'll be able to do an episode one day of Matt Loves Cameras on that old Rico 500 that I picked up for 10 Australian dollars, which is about seven US dollars. After the uh, the junk store, we actually went down to the cricket nets and we did a bit more cricket practice. Uh, I was bowling and my son was batting. And uh, yeah, he actually got hold of a few and whacked them, which is good. Uh, it was actually funny. It was, it was nice and dry today at the cricket nets. Last weekend, uh, my son and my daughter and myself, we all went down to the cricket nets and it was kind of sunny at the time, but it had been raining in the morning. And the the cricket nets, um, so cricket net is like a long skinny um, kind of cage where you 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 practice cricket. And the idea is if you hit the ball, whack the ball, it'll actually hit the sides of the top of the cage, and you won't have to go far to um, to to go collect the ball. Uh, and the, the the cricket pitch usually you know cricket pitch is like turf in the uh, in the cricket nets though it's concrete with some astro turf on top because it had been raining the astro turf was all wet the balls weren't bouncing they were just like skidding and so every time I bowled the ball to the kids they, they missed them because the, the ball was staying really low and skidding through along the uh, astro turf and they were like dad can you bowl properly um, and I had to try and explain to them it was because of this uh, the wet astro turf So just to finish off the show, I got another review on the Australian iTunes store. Um, So it's very, very exciting. Uh, I don't know who it is. Um, So thank you to whoever it is. It is from a Rockor fan, a Rockor fan. How do you you pronounce that line of lenses? Is it Rockor or Rockor? I don't know. But Rockor fan uh, wrote on the 6th of July, fun and educational podcast on analog cameras and film. I'm really enjoying listening to Matt's relaxed and informative podcasts. Matt has a great voice. I'm not sure I agree with that, but thank you. And his enthusiasm for his subjects is infectious. I've listened to his podcasts on a range of topics from historical cameras to interesting and unusual film stocks and found them all very enjoyable. Keep up the great work, Matt. So thank you so much to whoever that is. Um, I don't know who the person is, quite honestly. Uh, I mean, maybe it is someone who I know, but they're using um, a different pseudonym on iTunes. Or maybe I've never met the person. I don't know. But uh, nevertheless, 
nevertheless, either way, I really appreciate the review on iTunes. Um, not just because it was a good review on iTunes, but uh, because it's actually really good to hear feedback about the show. And uh, if you have anything to, you want to say, please let me know. MattLovesCameras at gmail.com or hit me up on the Instagram DMs. That's it for episode 15 of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you have enjoyed the show. Uh, Look out for episode 16, hopefully coming not too far away. I know I always say that, but um, I think it will be coming soon. So look out for it on your podcast app. And please subscribe. And I would love you to leave a review as well. Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cassie NMZ. Check the show notes for the link.